Okay, let's pray. Father, tonight, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for a spirit of revelation. I ask you to give us ears to hear what you would have to say to us this evening. Lord, may we understand clearly uh, what you want to say. Father, we give you praise. We give you honor for your word. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I read an article yesterday, actually. It was a, a, a Barna survey. Um, and he's talking about Christian parents, talking about uh, the next generation that's coming after this generation of parents. And um, they did, they in this survey, I don't know if you're familiar with Barna, but they're like the the, the Christian survey organization, and 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 so the, it, they call it the Christian the Cultural Research Center. They said that in in their in their research they they uh, polled all these people and a whopping these are American 67 percent of all adults with preteen children said they're Christians. That's a lot. 67% of all the adults with these preteen children said they're adults. Well, but then they defined what Christianity was. And they, they put in the, the basic orthodox belief. And of those, of those 67%, only one in 50 actually could identify as a real Christian. That's, that's kind of a, a sad statistic. And so then they, they did some more uh, uh, surveying and, 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 and they surveyed these parents. And of all, of all parents that had teenagers, 24% said that they saw the Bible. These are, these are all parents that, are, that, that have these teens. 24% said they view the Bible as the primary source of moral guidance. But then only 33% that were Christians agreed with that statement. People that say they're Christians, they don't identify that the Bible is, is the, the source of moral guidance. 29% of all parents agreed with the statement that God is the basis of faith as revealed in the Bible. 29% of all of them. But only 38% of Christians agreed with that statement. That's a sad state of affairs. And, you know, the, the, the article that I read was, was kind of down on the parents. And I think there's some validity to that. But I'm telling you, the real culprit, the real culprit is the church. The fact that those are not, those are not being taught, those, those principles and truths are not being taught in the churches today. Because the churches today have decided to draw a crowd and, and entertain. You know, and I heard a preacher say this one time, I said, this isn't new with me, but the preacher said, a clown can draw a crowd. Okay, the circus can draw a crowd. But we, we understand that it's not about drawing the crowd, it's about teaching the truth. And this whole fight that we fight, the spiritual warfare, the battle we fight, is over truth. I mean, it's over, it's over the truth. When, when Jesus stood before Herod, or before Pilate, he talked about the truth. That he was there to testify of the truth. And Pilate said, what is truth? You see, because all truth, we only find truth in Jesus. We find truth in God. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And so the whole fight is over truth. And so the devil is working overtime. Well, not overtime. He's, he tirelessly fights against us. But it is to squelch the truth. People today believe in my truth. I have my truth and you have your truth. No, there's not my truth and your truth. There's just the truth. And so as, as, as church people, we need to be dedicated to the truth. And so for, for churches to not speak the truth, that, that, that survey that, that the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ, that God's word is, is, the, is, is the answer to morality. I mean, that has to be what happens. That that needs to be that needs to be taught all the time. And what happens? What I see happening in modern churches is, while sermons are 
are the scripture is used as a footnote in most sermons the the value of the word of god is not is not presented on a regular basis when christians value the word when pastors value the word more than they value the crowd I'm telling you, that will change America. It will change the church. It will change that generation. You see, we learn most of our values in the first 12 years of our lives. And for these parents of preteens to not be presenting that to their children as preteens is, is deadly. America needs parents to stand up and teach the Bible to their children. And then they go to public schools that defy the word of God. And they, the, the public school is trying to tell them, well, you might really need to identify as this or that or that. And, and that our bathroom, anybody can go to, depending on how you feel today. And all that stuff that's going on, the truth comes from the Word of God. I mean, sexuality, the truth about sexuality comes from the Word of God. And all the other stuff, all the other stuff is a lie. And that's what the devil is trying to do. He's blinded the minds of people who've rejected the gospel. And so when those people are leading the children in their education, it affects them greatly. You're talking about putting five and four and five-year-old children in the hands of people who hate God and hate the church and hate parents who stand up for God and stand up for their right to have their children educated properly. I mean, that has a very negative effect on those kids. We need to be people who stand for the truth. When we go vote, I don't know if you've already voted or not, but we need to look at those school board people and find out what do they stand for. What have they stood for in the past? When we vote for city commission, we need to make sure that we're voting for people who stood up for life in every possible effort that they've made and not those who've cowered down and backed away from standing for life. We need to make our vote count that way. Amen. That's my political statement tonight. Back in the 60s, Dionne Warwick sang a song. And it was entitled, What's It All About, Alpy? Remember that song? See, in this room, we're old enough to remember that. But, but think that's a pretty good question. What's it all about? What is it all about? I mean, why are we here? Most of us, a little bit past um, our teens and past our... The, you know, all the, the years of, of having children and, and all that. We have children still, but and grandchildren now. But why are we still here? What are we supposed to do? I mean, are, is, is our remaining goal just to see if we can be healthy till we die? Is that it? Is that our goal? Is, is our goal to make sure that the money that we put back for retirement is enough to live on for the rest of our life. Is that is that our goal? Have we already done everything we're supposed to do here, or is there more for us to do? There's got to be more. There has to be more. I mean, why why would God have left us here <laughs> this long if there wasn't more for us to do? Proverbs 29:18 says, "Where there's no vision, the people perish." But he that keepeth the law happy is he. Literally, it, it, it says where there's no vision, the people cast off restraint. The picture here that's painted is of a river that's flowing, and all of a sudden it doesn't have any more banks, and it just runs out without any banks. There's nothing to direct it. There's nothing, no place to take it. Lamentations, chapter 1, verse 9 uh, um, uh, Jeremiah is speaking there and he's speaking of Judah after she was taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. And he said this, it says, she did not consider her destiny, therefore her collapse was awesome. Didn't think about the destiny, didn't even consider what was supposed to happen. People who have no vision, they, they just, they just, they just, run out of their banks and, and, and they cast off all restraint and no longer is there a reason to get up in the morning other than to make it through another day and hopefully not have to go to the doctor today. Right? I mean, we, we have to know there's got to be more than that. 
seemingly the church, not, not just people our age, but the church overall has come under the impression that we, that we go to church or that we worship together like we're worshiping tonight, and that's for me. It has nothing to do with anybody else. It's what do I get? I mean, that, that, that's, and that's a sad state of affairs. Most people probably get saved because they don't want to go to hell. Right? I mean, I mean that's probably true. They, you know, most people don't get don't get saved because they just fall in love with Jesus. They get saved because the preacher preached about hell and they don't want to go there. Okay, and 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 that's all right as long as you as long as you understand that once you get saved because you didn't want to go to hell, there's more to do besides that. You know, I mean, you, you've all heard heard. Uh, Pastors and preachers compel people by telling them tomorrow isn't guaranteed. And they may die in an accident tomorrow, so they better get saved today so they won't miss heaven. Okay? And then, I mean, the Bible, the scripture in Revelation, I think it says, talks about you can win people by, uh, how does it say, by compulsion, or you can hang them over hell, is basically what it says. And so, either way, as long as they get saved, okay? And so we've said that, that people that we don't, people don't want to miss heaven. But what happens then if you get a, a man saved and he's 32 years old and he lives to be 85? What does he do with the rest of his life? Does he just hang on, waiting for Jesus to come, hoping that he fulfills something? Or is there a purpose beyond that? I mean, being born again is more about going to heaven. Being born again is understanding that heaven isn't heaven without Jesus. That Jesus is the reason we want to go to heaven. Falling in love with God is what needs to happen. Paul gives an answer to my question in Galatians 2.20. He said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul said there's more to this than me just getting what I want. What's, what, what it is is, is that I, Christ lives in me and the life I live in this body, I live using his faith to accomplish his purpose. And as long as I'm here, I still have something to do. Now, I don't mean you and I are going to have to get on airplanes and fly all over the world. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about that we have to go over and knock on every door in certain parts of town to get them saved. Um, there is something for us to do, and we as, as people of God need to figure out, what am I supposed to be doing? Why am I here? What am I doing here? Am, am, am I just waiting for, for uh, I don't know, for the kids to come for, for summer vacation so I can see them again? Why am I here? There's got to be more to it than that. It is about his plan, finding his vision, his purpose. As long as we're still here, there's something for us to do, something we need to be pursuing for God. All right? We live for him. That's why we're here. Christianity, I say this all the time, Christianity is about the Christ. It's not about the Christian. We want it to be about us. I want the whole universe to revolve around me. You know, I want God in heaven thinking, I wonder what Randy needs today. And I wonder what I could do to make his day better. But, I, but the Bible says that I live by the faith of the Son of God. I live by Jesus' faith. My life should be consumed with what would Jesus' faith bring about today. Not just in me, not just in what I want. I mean, the new birth, we get born into a new family. We're born into the household of the king. And it's all about him and his kingdom. That needs to be the mindset. We're not taught that very much anymore. What we're taught about is getting my thing, getting my, my, my healing, my prosperity, my this and my that, my happiness, my ministry, my everything. We think about my thing. No, no, Christianity shouldn't be centered on me. It should be centered on him. As we awaken each day, the thought ought to be, okay, Lord, how can I serve you today? I believe that we miss a lot of opportunities to share Jesus with people because we're consumed with us. 
my father-in-law, Tammy's dad, and God gave him a gift early on. And I mean, when he laid hands on the sick, they got healed. He decided one day, he's, I don't know, by that time he was maybe 70, I'm not sure how old he was. But he decided that he needed to put his hands on some sick people. That going to church and laying hands on people there wasn't enough. So he got in his car almost every day and went to Walmart. <laughs> went to the pharmacy where sick people were going to get their medicine and started laying his hands on sick people in the pharmacy. And saw miracles take place because God, he asked God, what am I supposed to do? Why am I still here? That's pretty amazing that he would choose to... See, if it's all about me. If the Holy Spirit leads me to do something, I'm going to miss it. Because I'm focused on me and what's convenient for me. Somehow we've lost this sensitivity to the leading of the Spirit. And what's he saying to do? What's he calling us to do? And so because it became all about me and my problems. I got, you know, Lord, I got problems and you hadn't fixed that yet. So how am I going to help somebody else with problems? I discovered a long time ago the best way to get my problems fixed is to follow God and allow him to do something through me to help somebody else with their problems. And that, that as he flows through me, somehow that, that makes my problems go away. The people, the reason people lose vision and the reason they fail to consider their destiny is because they've lost sight of Jesus. And we've thought about all of our problems. <laughs> Isn't this good so far? Man. You were born again just for you. It's not only about your healing, your ministry, your prosperity, your deliverance. I mean, when you get involved in service to the king and his kingdom, he's responsible to take care of all that stuff. And you're not responsible to worry about it. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 8, verse 34. He said, And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said to them, Whosoever will come after me, let him get a new big TV <laughs> and a nice car and a good house with a great sprinkler system so his yard can stay green. No, no, he said, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Jesus is talking about a life of surrender. I promise you, those 12 apostles weren't in it for what they could get. Even though they did say, what do we get? <laughs> One time Jesus was talking about so, and they said, what do we get? And he said, if you give up all this stuff for me here in this life, you'll receive, uh, what is it, a hundredfold. But it wasn't about them. It was about him and the kingdom. These are people who left everything to follow him. The Apostle Paul left everything to follow Jesus. And he said, you know what? I counted as refuse that I might know him. I just want to know him. And then he said, and the fellowship of his sufferings. I usually leave that part out because that's not the part I want. But he said that I might know him. And he said, that's the way I'm going to get to know him. I'm going to identify totally with him. Every time I, hear, every time I read those verses, I think, Paul didn't know him, not to the degree he wanted to know him. He wanted this intimate relationship with Jesus. And the kingdom of God must be paramount in our lives. It must be what we're here for. Things may not always work out the way you think they ought to. <laughs> and you may not be the center of every event. His kingdom needs to come. And his will needs to be done. That's what we pray. Isn't that what we pray? I hope you pray that way almost every day. 
that you pray for his kingdom to come, his will to be done in earth as is in heaven. I'm in earth and I want it to be done in my life. I want to serve him with everything that I have. We'll be surprised at things that happen that don't go our way, but we must allow Jesus to be Lord of our lives. If Jesus is Lord in my life, there is no place for me to complain about what he's doing. Right? There's, not, there's nothing for me to say here when it doesn't go my way. Well, Jesus, why didn't you do that? Why didn't you do that? No, no, that's, that can't be my attitude. It's, all right, you're Lord, I'm not. So I'm not Holy Ghost Junior. I'm not the one who can do what needs to be done. I'm going to do what you tell me to do in this situation. All right? I have to understand. I mean, I don't have to understand why this happened or that happened. Mine is to hear, to pray, and obey. That's what I do. Man, I like these things. I don't have to know the next five steps. Don't have to know. Don't have, I just know this one. If Jesus said, do this, then I'm just supposed to do it. I remember one day, this is a few few years ago, I was exercising, and the Holy Spirit specifically told me, I mean, as clear, not in an audible voice, but in my spirit, it was so clear. He told me, he said, I want you to go to United Supermarket, and this is the United Supermarket on the other side of town, on Parkway Drive, and he said, I want you to buy a roast. He said, the roast is going to be, I think he said, $5.37. No, it was more than that. I can't remember. Whatever it was. He told me the exact price of the roast. I said, okay. And he said, and then I'll show you who to give it to. And I said, okay. So I drove to the other side of town, went to that United Supermarket. I didn't know there was a United Supermarket there, to tell you the truth. I went to that United Supermarket, went back, start, walked straight back to the meat department. I found the roast. It was exactly the price he told me it was going to be. I picked it up, and I said, okay, now what am I going to do? He said, I'll show you. So I walked around the store with this roast for a few minutes. I'm thinking, is it you? Is it you? I'm trying to figure out who it was. So I thought, okay, well, maybe I need to buy it first. Maybe that's what I need to do. So I went to the checkout to pay for this roast. And uh, when I got there, the Holy Spirit said, that lady, get in line behind her. So I got in line behind the lady, and she paid for her groceries. I said, don't go yet. And so I, I ring it up. I said, the Lord told me to give this to you. And she said, oh, my, that is so wonderful. That is so nice. Thank you so much. Give me a hug and left. And I thought, what, now what was that about? He said, I just want to make sure you do it. Because it wasn't about me. It was training me to hear what he had to say. Because shortly after that, the Lord said to me another time, he said, I want you to take your son and go buy some groceries and I'll tell you where to give them away. We drove, we went to Market Street, we got the groceries. We, I mean, we got, a, I don't know, we spent some money on some groceries. We went to another neighborhood that wasn't exactly the neighborhood that we're from. We went there and we saw a group of young men playing uh, dice against a wall. And the Lord said, there. I said, okay. I parked my car. Connor looked at me and he said, are you sure this is the place? <laughs> I said, this is it. This is it for sure. And so we got out of the car, we took the groceries, we walked up to these young men. I mean, they were, they were, they were anywhere from 20 to, to 40 probably years old, these guys. And they're, they're, they're playing dice or throwing pennies against the wall or whatever it was. I can't remember what it was. And they're playing some game of chance. And I said, does anybody here need groceries? I, thought, I may have told you this story before. And they said, oh, yeah, we need groceries. Yeah, we need groceries. I said, okay, here are the groceries. And I said, uh, can we pray for you? And one guy sit, looks at me, and he said, I can't. I, he, said, he said, I don't need groceries. I need money. I said, what do you need money for? He said, I need to pay my rent. 
I said, why don't you have the money to pay your rent? He says, because I can't work, because I can't lift my arm higher than this. And I said, so have you had this problem long? He said, yes, I've had this problem for, for three or four years. I can't lift it higher than this. I said, so let me ask you a question. If Jesus of Nazareth healed your arm, would you go get a job? And he said, yes, sir, I would. And I said, okay. Well, he's getting ready to heal your arm. I knew we were there for a reason. So Connor and I laid our hands on this guy, and we prayed. And we, we, we just believed Jesus would heal him right now. And all of a sudden, this guy, I said, raise your arm. And all of a sudden, he goes, his eyes got really big, and he raised his arm all the way up. So I looked at these other guys that were sitting there, and I said, now, let me tell you something. This same Jesus that just healed your friend will forgive you of all your sins right now if you invite him into your life. Well, they all gathered around. We prayed the sinner's prayer. They all got saved. Why? Because the Lord sent me to get a roast at a grocery store. <laughs> but we, 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 we've, we've become insensitive to this voice of the Holy Spirit because it becomes it's all about us all about us. We need to be people who are willing, and I'm not bragging on me here I'm not, at all. I mean, <clears throat> I've missed lots of opportunities to witness for him, but I don't have to know the next five things. I just have to know the next thing he told me to do. One thing is all I have to know. Just one thing. One thing. Remember Jesus told Martha? He said, Martha, you're cumbered about with many things. But Mary... She's chosen one thing. There's just one thing. If I do the one thing, then that'll lead me to the next thing. I don't have to know everything else. I just have to live my life committed to the king. And that's it. If he says, Randy, stay home and do nothing today. I get to stay home and do nothing. Now, I'm preaching to me as much as I'm preaching to you, by the way, just so you understand that. We need to become people who recognize it's about the king and his kingdom, not about me and what I want. I mean, we need, as Christians, we don't need to be surprised when tough times come. Because they're going to come. Jesus said in the world, you'll have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. In John chapter, what, 12, uh, no, maybe 1233, I can't remember for sure. But he overcame the world, but there's going to be tribulation. We don't need to be shocked by it. It's going to be there. It's going to happen to us. We, we don't need to be amazed at it. We just need to be prepared to do what he says in the midst of it. Yeah, and just do what he says. Just obey him. I heard a story about a guy who was, was, was riding in a taxi cab. So he's riding in the taxi cab, and he needed to ask the taxi cab driver a question. And so he reached up, and he tapped the taxi cab driver on the shoulder. The taxi cab driver was shocked. He jumped up and let go of the wheel and the cab crashed off the street and crashed into a light pole and almost into a business. And, 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 the, and the passenger said, oh, man, I'm, I'm so sorry. I, I, I didn't mean to frighten you. And the cab driver said, no, 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 it's not your fault. I mean, this is my first day as a taxi driver. I drove a hearse for 25 years right before this. <laughs> we don't need to be shocked when bad things happen. But we need to understand it's not because God is, do, is not doing his job. We live in a world full of people who have free wills, who don't love him maybe. But we need to love him and serve him with all that we have. We, we have to believe for our healing, for our deliverance, for all the things, so that we can serve the king. We, 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 need, to, we need to be healed to serve him, to do what we need to do. If he's calling us to go to a foreign country or calling us to go across town and buy a roast, we've got to do the things we're supposed to do. Our priority must be loving God. And Jesus said, if you love God, you will keep his commandments. And he'll come and move in with you. Is this my paraphrase of it? We give ourselves away. We give ourselves away. We can't allow the hard times to make us turn inward, to become self-centered. Anybody ever had a hard time? I have, and I'm always thinking about, oh, I've got to get out. I've I got to get out of this. And most of the time we beg God, oh, please, God, please get, please get us out of this. 
but we need to have a different view of those hard times. We have a different view of what goes on. Listen to this passage of Scripture. This is from 1 Samuel chapter 22. It says, And David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. And everyone that was in distress, everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him. Ooh, what a great group of people that was. And he became captain over him, over them, and there were with him about 400 men. And David went thence to, to, to Mizpah of Moab and sent, said to the king of Moab, Let my father, my mother, I pray thee, come forth and be with you, till I know what God will do for me. And he brought them before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with him all the while that David was in the hold. And the prophet Gad said to David, Abide not in the hold, depart and get thee to the land of Judah. Then David departed and came into the forest of Hereth. Obviously, this passage is about King David. David was, he, at this point, he's the future king of Israel. He became the greatest of all the kings of Israel, and uh, he is the beginning of the royal lineage of Jesus, as we know. Okay? David is described by God as a man after mine own heart in Acts chapter 13. Okay? And though he was great, he became even greater, and uh, you know, he, he was a very great man, but this was not the greatest time in his life. God sent him these people. This is amazing. This is a pastor's dream list right here. They were in distress. <laughs> distress, the, the, the word means in need of immediate assistance. That's what we are when we come to the Lord, right? We're in need of immediate assistance. Many times since then, you've been in need of immediate assistance. You need God to do something right now. I mean, here, here they come to David. They need miracles. They need all kinds of things. But, but we need to recognize those are the people that came to David. They were in debt. Now, everybody, every pastor wants people in debt. No, no, they want people that are free to give money. That's what they mostly want. But the word debt means to done for debt, to owe, to lead astray, to delude, to seduce. Debt is a seduction. Did you realize that? I mean, the devil wants to lead you into debt. All right? To beguile, to deceive. I mean, a lot of people, when they first come to Jesus, this is what they are. They're in debt. They're, they're, they're in distress. They're, they're in a bad, bad way. Sadly, many people, Jesus helps them get out, and then they get right back into it. I mean... The devil, these are people that the devil has lied to, led them astray, right? So, and then they were discontented, which means angry, bitter, chafed. <laughs> Literally means they had a bitter soul. I've met some Christians just like this. But this is how these people were when they came to David. Many people like that when they come to Jesus. And they may have had a bad marriage, a bad church situation, a bad job. They're still bitter and angry because of the way it ended or because they had to do this or do that. But, but Jesus wants to help us get out of the mess. Okay, so I'm guessing these people that, were, that, that had these three problems, that, that were discontented, that were in debt, and were in distress, I'm guessing that most of these people, the problems that they're having are their own fault. Because most of the time when you have those situations, it's your fault. Right? Every now and then we're victims, total victims. But most of the time, we're the ones who could have avoided the mess. I can think of lots of messes that I've been in, and it's not because God sent the mess to me. It's because I walked into it. You know, some of us, some of us are people who we don't see the red light in front of us. We see the green light way down there, maybe. Tammy and I were driving. We were going on a trip somewhere. It was nighttime. And she says to me, she says, do you see the red light? We're in some small town. Do you see the red light? And I said, yes, I do. And she's looking at me. She says, which one do you see? Because I saw one about four down. And that's what I was looking at. And she said, well, you need to stop for this one. <laughs> some of us are with God like that there's a red light right here and if we would just stop there and we know that but we say things like well I didn't know well I'm going to tell you when you stand before God you're not going to be able to say I didn't know because <laughs> he knows if you know or not so here these people are not to they're, they're probably not total victims so David took them in you know and, and he didn't kick them out because of their problems in fact he saw something in them that was very good because in, in 2 Samuel 23 it talks about the exploits of David's mighty men and they were among this group of people. Right? They were mighty men. I mean, one guy killed 800 enemy guys at one time. Another slaughtered a whole troop. I mean, they did lots of great things. Right? So I always think about that. I look in a room of people. I think, I wonder what kind of mighty people we have right here. If we would just follow what he has for us to say. So they came to the cave. And in the cave, they became loyal to David. So they came to the cave. It must have been a pretty big cave. It had 400 people plus all of David's family. I mean, the Bible says that David escaped to the cave. That means he's running from Saul. All his relatives 
came to him. Now, I don't know. I don't know if that's a great situation or not. All your relatives living in a cave with you. I don't know if I would, would want that or not, but his whole, I mean, he, he, all of his relatives, that'd be bad enough, but then you have 400 people that are in debt, discontented, and all that stuff, and you have all these people who, who, who are not doing well. I mean, it seems like this should have been maybe the end of David's story, but he wouldn't let it be because he had a vision from God. He knew what he was supposed to do. He was anointed to be the king, but he's in a cave. Right? He's there. He's hiding from Saul. He's called to a whole nation, but he lives in a hole in the ground. We are called to live our lives and reign in life by one Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean there won't be caves from time to time. And that doesn't mean our attention turns to us. It still has to turn to God. We still must try to find out what are we doing here. I mean, we, we have to understand that just because we're in a cave doesn't mean we have to die that way. The cave doesn't have to be our grave. It'll be a grave unless we refuse to allow it to be. So I'm going to talk about going through these tough times and how to respond just like David did. Here's how David got here. Here's how he got to the cave. First of all, he was anointed. <laughs> that doesn't sound very good, does it? Samuel came along, anointed him to be the king. Remember the story how they came to the dinner and invited uh, Jesse and all the sons and they didn't even bring David to the dinner. Everybody else Everybody else stood before Samuel, and Jesse kept thinking he's going to bless one of my boys, and he kept thinking it's one of the other ones, and he finally said, is this all your sons? He said, no, i got one that's with the sheep. He said, well, bring him in. And that was the one that God chose. So he's anointed. David was anointed. That's what sent him to the cave. If you want the anointing, here's, about, here's something about the anointing. We all want the anointing, right? Well, if you want the anointing, you've got to be ready to fight. You didn't get anointed to do nothing. The anointing does something. If I want God's anointing, then I need to be ready to do something with the anointing. I have to flow and follow the anointing. I mean, people think that the new birth is the end of their troubles. If you just get saved, Jesus will make everything all right. I found out that was a lie. Now, he does make it all right, but it didn't solve my problems because I still had the same things going on in my life. I still had troubles. The new birth is the entrance into the armory of the supernatural weapons that will defeat a spiritual enemy. If we get born again, now we have access to the real weapons. To not fight in the spirit is to, is to become a captive of the devil. Sadly, many Christians are, just, are, are captivated by the devil. The anointing is good, but it's not cheap. It's in us. It's upon us. The only way it works is when we are in it to do something. The anointing always does something. The Bible says in Acts 10.38 how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. The anointing caused Jesus to do something. He's in the cave because he's anointed. He's in the cave because he fought Goliath. You realize these are the things that took him there? He fought Goliath. He killed the giant. And even though it's one of the greatest stories in the whole Bible, everybody in the world knows about David and Goliath. But most people don't realize that it was after he beat Goliath that now he has to run from Saul. I mean, he killed the giant, and now th that's not the ultimate victory. There's more he has to fight for in his life. He's in the cave. Just because you've had a victory doesn't mean it's time to sit down and rest. It's time to say, okay, God, we won this. What is next? What do we do next? What do we do next? What do we do next? I mean, I have a staff of salespeople that when one makes a great big sale, they say, well, I'm going to just sit down and let everybody else do it. And I say, no, no, you get the next customer because you're hot. You need to go some more. All right. It's not enough. Just, just Jesus. It wasn't enough for Jesus just to calm the sea. He said to get to the other side to heal the demoniac. It wasn't enough for the children of Israel just to get out of Egypt. They had to get into the promised land. It's not enough to make a bunch of money and retire. There's still a destiny that we have to fight for, for our kids and our grandchildren. He's, 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 he, he's here because, because he's, 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 he's killed a giant. He's here because he's anointed. He became the number one fugitive in the land because of those two things, because Saul hated him. Saul was jealous of him. The devil got into Saul's mind. So he went, to the, he went to this cave. Well, why, why, why do we have to go through hard things sometimes, do you think? What's the purpose of it? Why are we having hard times sometimes? Here's Satan's purpose. He wants you to quit. 
He wants you to give up. He probably brought the hard time to you. He wants you to renounce the anointing. He tells you it's not worth the price. He says you'll never get there anyway. In fact, he tells you you're so, so far off from what God called you to, you can't get there from here. You might as well just stay in the cave. You might as well just make it your grave. He knows if you reach the place of God's plan, his head will be sore from you trampling all over it. He doesn't want you to have it. God's purpose, listen, God doesn't give you bad things. But in those bad things, he can turn them around for his glory. He can make it what he wants. He wants us to be utterly dependent upon him and only him. That's where we need to come to so that we can do the things that we're supposed to do. When Tammy and I first got married, I wanted really badly to teach her about football. I felt like she needed to love it as much as I did. I mean, we went to Taco Bell one time, and they had a cup. They had these giant cups, and it had the helmets of every NFL team on there. Man, I thought, this is good. This is a good way to teach her so she can learn what all of these teams are so she can understand which ones we love and which ones we hate. And we loved we loved the Cowboys, and we, we hated most of the other ones. We loved the Cowboys. And so I was teaching her about the Cowboys, how we hated the Redskins, how we hated the, 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 the Eagles and the Giants. In those days, we hated the Cardinals because they were all in our division. And, I mean, I was trying to teach it to her. I, I even drew plays on pieces of paper so she could see. <laughs> well, she wasn't a very quick learner. I did discover that regarding football anyway. And so I was showing her what these positions are. And so this was a long time ago, obviously, almost 50 years ago. And so the Cowboys had a player. His name was Robert Newhouse. And Robert Newhouse, he had the biggest thighs. I mean, they were big. His thighs were bigger than most people's waist. And so, you know, so we're, 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 he wasn't as well known as, as as some of the other players on the Cowboys, and like Roger was. And so, so I asked her. I said, okay, okay, what position does Robert Newhouse play? Well, he played fullback, just in case you didn't know. He played fullback, and I said, what position does Robert Newhouse play? She goes, well, uh, I'm not sure, but I think he's one of the drawbacks. <laughs> you are not a drawback. I just want you to know that. We're not drawbacks. We're not mistakes. The cave, if we find ourselves in hard times, the cave is not our grave. We must not quit. Don't give up on our healing. Don't give up on his plan for the rest of our lives. Don't give up living just because we reach a certain age. There's still something for us to do. I promise you, every person in this room, no matter how old or how tired we are, we can pray in tongues. We can believe God for this nation. We can believe God for our children and our grandchildren. And we don't need to be sitting back just waiting for, for it all happen to us. We need to be on the offensive fighting and staying in the fight the cave in our grave god's purpose is to get us to a destiny and right now that destiny may be just to be the intercessor because he's looking for an intercessor he's looking for someone to stand in the gap i have grandchildren that need an intercessor they need someone to stand in the gap we must be those people listen i believe tonight that my great-grandmother i was raised in a home where we, my parents didn't go to church we didn't I went to church every Sunday by myself as a little boy, even in the in the third and fourth grade, because I have a great-grandmother who prayed for me, told me, you will be a man of God. You love God. The only reason I ever went to the Baptist church is because my mom and dad, my mom, didn't want me to go to the Church of Christ where she went, so she dropped me off at the Baptist church. And they told us we were once saved, always saved, and I kept thinking, well, when do we get old enough that we don't have to come anymore? Because, you know... They were once saved, always saved, but they got to a certain age, they quit coming, and they were still saved. I just thought, well, why don't we do that? Never mind. <laughs> but I know this, that that grandmother's prayers, I know that her great, my great-grandmother's prayers and her confession over me made a difference in my life. And I know that those prayers are still in effect today because she prayed them in faith, believing what God would do in my life. We have that opportunity. It may be that their parents aren't teaching them about, about the, that the Bible is the standard, that Jesus is the way, but we can pray and we can believe God. While we can't change their will, we can pray and God will answer our prayers by sending circumstances and things into their lives. We cannot quit, quit just because we're tired. We must push through. We must stay with it. God wants us to be his vessel. I am his vessel for him to use. And we're to get where we're supposed to be his way, allowing him to do what he wants to do. 
And we need to understand, we learn some things in the cave, we learn some things through the hard times, but we need to be equipped to reign in life as, as we walk through the cave. Now here's, here's what I wanted to get to. When you go through a hard time, there needs to be something that you say. You need to watch your mouth. Because when you get to a hard time, what comes out of your mouth, especially the first thing you say, is probably what you're going to get unless you repent. I don't want to be that person. You know, they, they have all these flight recorders of these crashes. And they say that most pilots who die in crashes curse right before they die. If that, ever, if that were to, I, I'm not going to die in a plane crash, I, you know, we're going to live long and strong. But if it were to happen, I would want to be saying, I'm coming home, Jesus. <laughs> or, Jesus, save me. But I want, I want, the Bible says out of the abundance of your, of your heart, your mouth speaks. And when, you, and when you're in a tough time, when you're going through something hard, what your mouth says is extremely important. You are the prophet of your own life. I'm sick and tired. Really. You need to be sick and tired of being sick and tired. But you need to be well. You need to believe God for that. The Bible says death and life are in the power of the tongue. We need to understand we need to speak right in the tough times. I mean, we'll have what we believe when we release it with our words. We release worry. We release faith. In Psalm 57, David wrote it while he was in the cave. It's kind of an interesting psalm. He's in the cave, and here's what he says in verse 1. Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. If you're going through a rough time, you need to say something like this. My problems, my calamities have a time limit. This is not my destiny. They will be overpassed. I'm not here forever. Instead of, this is never going to end. This, is, this lasted too long. It's not going to end. No, no. There will be an end. There's a time limit. Verse 2 said, I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. That's a powerful statement. Here's what he's saying. God will perform his word. In the middle of this, God will do what he said he would do. Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He will do it until you see him face to face. Psalm 138.8 said, The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. He will perform his word, even if it doesn't look like he can do it. Even if it looks like he's not doing it, he will do it. Verse 3 says, He shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of man, from the reproach of him that would swallow me up. Selah. God will send forth, his, send forth his mercy and truth. You need to be saying, God will save me. He's going to save me from the cave, so I better behave. You need to understand that's what you say. You've got to talk right. I heard a preacher one time say, and the Lord spoke to me and said, my people don't never know how to talk right. I'm thinking, I don't think God said it that way, but that's the way you understood it, dude. God's people need to speak what God says, not what they feel. Because if we're only talking about how we feel, we're not going to have, that. we're going to get that fulfillment of prophecy. Verse 4 says, this is verse 4 and 5. My soul is among lions. I lie even among them that are set on fire. Even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows. Their tongue is sharp, is a sharp sword. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. In the cave, doesn't matter what they say. I will praise you. I will worship you. I will not give in to what I feel. I will not give in to what they think. I will do what I'm supposed to do. My praise in the middle of the circumstances. Listen, I don't care what you have to do. You've got to say it right. I've been through times where we would turn on 
preachers who were word preachers, and they would preach to us all night long. So that every time we woke up with that worry thought, we hear a preacher talking about the word of God. How faithful God is. We could just praise him. We could worship him. Verse 6 says, They prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They've digged a pit before me in the midst whereof they are fallen themselves. Selah, my heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. In the middle of the cave, in the middle of the rough time, you need to be saying, I will control my emotions. My heart is fixed. I will not let go of what you have said. My heart is is fixed. That's a in all this stuff. He's saying my heart's fixed. Verse eight. Awake up, my glory. Awake, my psaltery, my harp. I myself will awake early. He's saying, awake up, mouth. That's what he's saying. Awake when he says, wake up, my glory. Wake up, tongue. Wake up, mouth. Here's what he's saying. He was saying, I'm going to stir up the gift. I'm going to awaken myself. I'm going to say it out loud, stirring up the gift that's in me. Everyone in this room, you have a gift in you. And you've got to stir up the gift. Especially when you're going through the cave. You've got to say it right. Verse 9 says, I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people. I will sing unto thee among the nations. For thy mercy is great unto the heavens, thy truth to the clouds. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. I will give glory to God. And I'll tell everybody around me that God gets the glory. That's how you act. That's what you do. The great thing about that passage that I just read to you was that was that that the prophet came to him and said, "Go to Judah." He was in the cave for a while, but God eventually said, "You got you got you got to go go to Judah. You can't stay in the cave forever. Go to Judah." What does Judah mean? Praise. Go to go to praise. Just get out of here and go to praise. Here's the deal. Without Jesus the likelihood of recovery from the cave is maybe 50-50, right? Probably less. But with Jesus and me listening to him, quieting my soul, hearing what he has to say, choosing that he is Lord of lords and King of kings, no matter how I feel, no matter what's going on, I choose him. With that in mind, recovery is 100% sure. And that we want to serve him. We want out of the cave, not so that we can get out of the cave and satisfy our flesh, but so we can get out of the cave and accomplish his plan for our days. Amen? We live long and strong. You can find that in Proverbs chapter 3. Not those exact words, but you can find it there. We live long and strong, not just so we can become the oldest person to ever live, but so that we can produce his will. The psalmist said, I will produce fruit in my old age. We have more to do. We have to come out and do what we're supposed to do. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, tonight I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for experiences that each of us have had and and for, for, for the ability that we tonight, if we went around the room and just started sharing about all the things you brought us through. We could testify and testify and testify. But God, if you brought us through those things, you'll take us through everything else. And you will take us to a place of fulfillment. Lord, I thank you there's more for us to do. Not out of guilt, not out of compulsion, but because we love you. You are the King. You are the Father. Jesus, you are Lord. We serve you because we love you. We honor you with our lives tonight. God, we thank you, we praise you, we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.